I happen to have a really unique perspective that I can compare like a budget and the investment into influencer marketing and the results that come from it directly to the investment in a TV commercial and the results that come from a TV commercial. And I can very clearly see that influencer marketing is just like the better investment. There's way fewer dollars and per dollar, it just feels as if you're getting so much more out of it. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? In short, it's going to be a good time. We're going to have great conversation and there's going to be a little learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills up to the next level. In today's episode, we are covering influencer marketing with Jessie Grossman. Now, a little bit about Jessie. She is a seasoned entrepreneur in the digital media industry, passionate advocate for women in business and innovation, and has been quoted in renowned publications like the New York Times and Forbes, and has been named one of the influencer top 50 by Talking Influence. Now, within two years, she founded and grew one of the fastest growing talent agencies in the U.S., which she sold for a multi-six-figure sum. Not bad. Jessie then turned her attention to her passion project, Women in Influence Marketing, better known as WIM, which is now the premier professional organization for influencer marketers. WIM provides networking opportunities, career services, and ongoing education. Jesse's company, Tribe Monday, offers consulting, advisory, and influencer marketing recruitment services. Tune into the WIM podcast to hear inspiring stories and learn more about Jesse's work. This is no surprise that we are talking about the future of influencer marketing with her today after reading through all of those accolades. So let's get to it. Let's talk influencer marketing with Jesse Grossman. Jesse, welcome to Let's Talk Marketing. I am beyond excited to have you on here, a guest on my previous podcast, but also I just love talking to you. Same, 100%. It's something I've been looking forward to all day, all week. So thank you for asking me to be on. It's just an opportunity for us to catch up and like chat about something that we like geek out over marketing. So it'll be fun. Very true. And we're going to talk about just kind of the future state of influence marketing. But before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit. So I always start off by asking what your first quote unquote marketing role was or what you would say fell into that and kind of take a look at where you're at now. So my first marketing role was, I would say, is marketing adjacent in that I came into influencer marketing from the talent management perspective. So I used to work at a very, very old school, traditional talent agency representing actors. They've been around since the 70s and didn't really change how they did business over all those years. So I, you know, sort of saw the writing on the wall in terms of like, I'm always excited by building new things and being at the forefront and like innovating. So while it was a great learning experience, I didn't really think I wanted to represent actors anymore. And certainly in like a unionized sort of way, which it is in New York. So 
I explored a lot of different avenues and I give credit to my best friend, which she worked in casting at the time. And she's like, you should really look into influencers. She's like, we're being asked to find influencers and we don't even know who to go to. And maybe you could represent influencers. So you know, I give myself credit for being a good listener. I'm not necessarily the one who will think of the idea per se, but I'll run with it. <laughs> so I ran with her idea. The company I worked for gave me enough resources to get started. They were very skeptical, just didn't understand it. I get it. And then, yeah, I was there for a couple of years building that department. It still exists to this day. And the only reason I left was to start my own agency. And then that was, I guess, my entry point into influencer marketing. I love it. Let's talk about where you're at right now. Because as I had mentioned before we even started recording, so many people have talked about WIM. Some of the guests that I've already interviewed have talked about WIM as to how they stay up to date on news and trends. So where are you at now? And what is it that you're doing? Well, I'm doing a lot of things because <laughs> my ADHD brain will not let me just do one. And I enjoy having my hands in different places. So the majority of my time is spent with WIM, which is short for Women in Influencer Marketing, which you know we offer lots of different things. But like at our core, we're a networking group for women who hire influencers or advocate for influencers. So the business side of everything. And yeah, within that community, it's like worldwide and we offer in-person events, which is like nothing beats in-person networking. But we do also offer virtual events because not everybody's in New York or LA or Chicago where we host these things. So it's nice for them to feel as if they have a seat at the table and can continue learning regardless of location. So we are hosting all sorts of virtual events and have a whole library, in fact, of them from, I think we're up to like 45 plus master classes and panel discussions. And the goal, I guess, of WIM is connection. That's one of the main things. So of course, professional connection and networking it has sort of like an antiquated idea. I think we aspire to turn networking, like flip it around a bit, shake it up and have it be a different experience because as like a women's focused group, I think that women connect in different ways than men do. I think that we really value different things, really like a, that genuine connection and that more like deep connection that support network is really important. I mean, these are things that are at least important to me. And so yeah. we're always trying to foster that intermixed with valuable connections. It'll build tons of great partnerships within the industry. So it's like a little bit about where we're at with WIM today. Valuable connections, invaluable resources, I will say as well too. And I think to your point as women, it's networking and connecting without expectation on the other ends that I think is such a core piece to all of the members that I've ever engaged with, the amount of people that are willing to step up and answer a question or share their thoughts on literally anything on a daily basis. I mean, that's one of my favorite things to do is to either go through the Slack channel or the Facebook group because it helps me keep up to speed as well too and be like, oh, I didn't have that question, but I'm real curious about the answers. Now about what you do, I'd love to hear what you love about what you do. But conversely, there's always something that you wish you could 
pluck out. And if you plucked it out, it would be perfect. So let's start with what do you love and then go into what's that one thing you would pluck out? Personally, I like feeling like I'm really making a difference. I'll bring it back to like when I first moved to New York, I was in theater. People, not everyone like really knows that about me. I graduated through the BFA in theater. So I moved to New York with aspirations, yeah, of being a director in theater, like on Broadway and worked my ass off to do that, but also had a job that was like my money making job to like pay the bills because you don't make money (laughs) directing theater when you first moved to New York. And I gave myself this like very arbitrary year long deadline of the job that would pay my bills. And after three years of being there, two more than I gave myself permission to do. So I worked in retail. That was my money-making, (laughs) soul-sucking job and being in retail and being in luxury designer sales. And I just felt like I, you know, look, maybe I wasn't going to make the difference right away doing theater because it's like a very insular community and et cetera, et cetera. But like, I wanted to make some sort of difference. I wanted to make some sort of impact. And I just felt like this was soul sucking because I was making zero impact or zero difference. And I think that that changed a little bit as I represented talent later on, because these people would be like, oh my God, this deal is paying for my kid to go to college. I worked with a lot of parenting influencers and stuff, but that was a step in the right direction. But I I don't know. It still wasn't enough for me. It was still very monetary focused and like transactional. I think whim really just does it for me personally because like people come to me like, I got a job out of this or like I started my own business from this or I don't know. There's so many incredible stories that have come out of the group that aren't superficial and they're pretty big life-changing things that I can be proud of at the end of the day. So that's probably the most positive. And then, okay, so all the things I'm going to (laughs) pluck. So I'm very self-aware and I know that I'm not a great people person. Really? Yeah, no, not at all. I have like a very, very, very small group of people that I actually, you know, in real life, like consider my friends. I have like one best friend from growing up, like birthdays and stuff. It's like a handful of people that are there. That's just me. So it's a challenge for someone like myself that feels much more comfortable with a small group of people to be running a community with hundreds of people in it (laughs) and thousands of people who maybe, you know, are sort of like in our orbit. And it's the challenge. And I hope that at some day I can grow whim to the point where I don't have to do the things that I'm not particularly good at anymore because now it's out of necessity. Like who else is going to do it? But I'm self-aware to know that someone else could be like managing the community per se in a way better way than I can. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting that you would say that. I'm a tech nerd. I love putting processes together. I love building things, but I'm not like people oriented. And this is something that I actually learned when I had my own agency. We like ran these certain type of personality tests. Basically, the gist that I learned from it is just because you can do something and just because you're like high functioning so that you can figure it out 
doesn't mean that you should be doing it and certainly doesn't mean that it's your natural way of being. So as I've gone through this journey of working for someone else, then having my own company with lots of employees to now working for myself, I've found that being in charge of myself and like having no one else to necessarily report to, that feels much more pleasurable than the anxiety transparently that I get by being accountable to so many other people and employees. And that's been a journey to be honest with myself about, to be honest. Well, I appreciate that you're so honest with what you would pluck out. Like most people just say the admin stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I also think that's so authentically you and being very front and center. And I think it's also something for anybody that's running a community, there is this kind of this misnomer of like, you must be the extrovert and the social butterfly and all of this thing. So I definitely empathize and sympathize with what you mentioned in regards to plucking it out because I consider myself an introvert that plays an extrovert for her job. It's definitely a role, but man, if you could be here after 5 p.m., I'm just dead to the world. My fuel tank needs to be filled up. I need to not have conversations. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to go out anywhere. I'm basically a hermit. I can relate. It's because like, just because you can do it and you're like a high functioning person and you know, if it's your natural style, if it fills you up and it energizes you or if it drains the crap out of you at the end of the day. (laughs) We say that lovingly, right? It's so draining, but also it is fulfilling for kind of that same thing that you love about what you do, right? All of that, it's filling other people's cups. Yeah. That pays back in dividends. I feel like we could do a podcast just about introvert, extrovert, and how we spend our energy. But being in the industry that we're in, in influencer marketing and marketing in general, it's really important to stay up to date on certain things. And I know that a lot of times we gravitate towards social networks to be inspired or educated or even entertained. So I'm curious what, if any, social networks do you go to for entertainment or inspiration or education? So my top two all day, every day are podcasts. I'm a huge podcast listener and YouTube. I love YouTube. I watch YouTube on my TV at night at the end of the workday and switch through my favorite people and get recommendations for topics that the algorithm thinks I'll like. Yeah, those aren't necessarily platforms that I worked on rigorously when I was like managing talent or even today in the marketing plans for WIM. I mean, we have a podcast, yes. And like we have a YouTube that we dabble in, but we're focused on LinkedIn. I do love LinkedIn actually. So maybe I shouldn't discount LinkedIn. I actually really, really love LinkedIn. So LinkedIn as well. I think the point that I'm trying to get to is that everybody is very, very focused on meta and Instagram, right? And if I'm being honest, that's never been my favorite platform ever, ever, never. It's just not my thing. Whether it's stories or reels, Instagram doesn't really do it for me personally. I love learning. So I love what you're saying, like the educational piece. And to me, the educational piece probably is YouTube first and foremost, because podcasts for me are like very entertainment focused reality show sometimes. Yeah. You're basically a fly on the wall, I feel like, as a podcast. And especially just having a conversation. I think these are the best conversations. 
where I forget that we're recording, which sometimes can lead me to say certain things. But it is entertaining and very educational as well, too. I love that you picked those three, actually, YouTube, LinkedIn, and podcasts in general. And now aside from the social networks, where do you go to stay up to date on trends? So there are actually like a couple of really interesting accounts that I follow on Twitter of all places. And I actually just set up alerts. So I just get pinged a lot from these like very specific accounts that keep me up to date in terms of new platform releases or things that Instagram is testing. There's some really cool accounts where they like reverse engineer things so they can figure out what Instagram's testing. And it's sort of like the reality Steve of social media. (laughs) So there's like really cool accounts. So, you know, I like to get pinged on those and just sort of feel as if I'm in the know. I'm also always questioning, do I need to turn off all my notifications because like it's just too much sometimes or what have you. But that's the reality. It's actually Twitter. There's just certain accounts on there that have pretty consistent, regular and like very reliable information. Yeah. Well, I love that you piggybacked on the social networks for how you stay up to date, but it's also not scrolling through it using alerts. That's a really smart way to make it work for you beyond Google alerts. Well, this is fantastic. Are you ready to talk strategy? Let's talk the future of influencer marketing. I think the importance of collaboration and community building to be really successful in influencer marketing is incredibly important. But I'd love to hear what you think is really important as far as like being successful with influencer marketing. It's a great question. And I don't know, I feel like I've been privy to a lot of conversations lately, especially where people, myself included, (laughs) have been a little discouraged by the amount of progress that's been happening in influencer marketing. And a lot of the same struggles that we had like literally 10 years ago still exist to this day. And it's like, why? Like how? There's so many brilliant minds that are working in this industry. Like how is that even possible? And I feel like one of the answers is collaboration. You know, you talk about community. I equate that to collaboration. And I think that someone might have a brilliant idea, but if there's not someone to execute it and then there's not someone to market it and get it in front of the right people and all of these things, then it's just not going to see the light of day or it's not going to be as successful as it may have been if they found the right partners. I've also personally experienced what having terrible business partners can do. So as you get older and you progress in your career and you learn just more and more about business, I think that it becomes abundantly clear to me at least that it's really complex and there's so many variables that have to sort of come together in the right way for something to be successful, whether this is on a macro scale or at your company, right? Anyone who's listening, your company where, you know, you're sort of working off on your own, like imagine if you really plugged into the rest of your team and really honed in on their specific skill sets that were incredible that you might not even known about because you didn't take the time to ask or to figure it out or to dig in. Or if you're a manager, that's your job, but you're not digging into it or figuring it out in the right way. So I just think collaboration, I've lived it where collaboration with the right people can really unlock so many things. 
Yeah, you are really great at identifying moments or avenues for collaborating because I know you and I have collaborated on a few things as well too that I never would have thought of. So I'm right on board when it comes to collaborating both internally. Love what you said about looking within your team. It reminds me of this book that I just finished reading called Multipliers. And that has to do with like basically pulling out all of the superpowers of your team for it to work. It's not about one leader making it work. It's about the entire team making it work. So I love that you said that. There is something that I wanted to double click on that you said in regards to, we still have the same struggles that we were having 10 years ago. What are those struggles that you're talking about? Well, we don't have enough time (laughs) to cover (laughs) them, unfortunately. But one of the ones that probably resonates with the most people, the most universal is just like proving out the ROI of influencer marketing. For me, I come from this very traditional world of advertising. So to be more specific, when I represented actors, it was in commercials on TV. So it's all commercial advertising, the same as what influencers are doing. It's just using a different type of talent. And it's not scripted. Well, in influencer marketing, it still is scripted. So there's a lot of similarities. So to your question, what still isn't necessarily going right or like what are the struggles still? It's like proving out that ROI. I happen to have a really unique perspective that I can compare like a budget and the ROI of influencer marketing, like the investment, I should say, the investment into influencer marketing and the results that come from it directly to the investment in a TV commercial and the results that come from a TV commercial because that's my background. And I can very clearly see that influencer marketing is just like the better investment. There's way fewer dollars. And per dollar, it just feels as if you're getting so much more out of it. But not everyone necessarily has that. And that's fine. I think that the issue becomes that there's sort of like a divide in my mind. There's creatives, which make up the majority of influencer marketing. And there's not enough people who think analytically and are data driven. And this is an interesting conversation that I have had in the past couple of weeks with a few people. This is a tough pill to swallow. But I just think that people struggle with data. And I mean that because people want data to just tell a certain story. And if the data that they see doesn't tell the story that they wanted to say, then people can be very dismissive of that data or just not utilize it to maybe optimize what they've been doing or change things or what have you. I feel like people are missing the mark there. And that I've seen continuously There is a lot of data out there in terms of influencer marketing and how it's performing. And there's so many different data points that we can take into consideration. The pitfall that I see people falling into is that if it doesn't tell the story that they necessarily want it to, (laughs) they don't share that data. They don't take it into consideration. And it's a huge mistake for obvious reasons. Yes. One thousand percent. And to your point, there is so much data out there. I also think sometimes people are confused with what they should be looking at. I think of all of the data points, because I am also a data junkie as well, too, because I do think it tells a story. And I think that's the fun part about data is that what story is it going to tell? 
I think of it as this 5,000 piece puzzle, right? And the data is are all of those pieces. And what you're basically doing is if you're not taking the time to put the pieces together, you're asking someone to tell you what the picture is with scattered pieces all over the place. When in reality, evaluating and analyzing the data that you're getting from any marketing initiative, especially influencer marketing, is really taking a look at how do these pieces fit together? And there's not one silver bullet. I've always run into that is that a lot of people are looking for the silver bullet metric. And the silver bullet metric is always, in my perspective, that people are looking for is show me the sales. If it didn't get me the sales, then I don't want to do it. It's not worth investing in. I'm not going to do it at all. It's got to be the one-to-one. So that's why I'm kind of curious about your background in regards to being able to relate the ROI or evaluating, I should say, for the ROI for a commercial. How do you evaluate the return on a commercial? There's strategy in commercials just as much as there is in influencer marketing. You're going back like decades ago. They'll put a 1-800 number in the commercials. So they can measure how many people call the number, right? But today you could put a URL. You could put like a custom URL, like a vanity URL. There are definitely ways that you could technically measure ROI. And then in terms of the networks, like they provide you with the amount of people that are actually watching it. But it's a very vanity, superficial type metric because you see that an influencer. It's like how many views a piece of content gets. Yeah, but like how many seconds or nanoseconds did that person actually spend watching it? What constitutes a view? And your definition of a view, is that even valuable for me? Should I even take into consideration the people who spent a literally a nanosecond on my content. I don't know that that's meaningful information. Like I want to know someone who spent five seconds or more or clicked or shared it or saved it or, you know, things like that. So yeah, I'm a little more disconnected from that world, honestly, than I have been. So like there could have been tons of advancements in the old traditional commercial world that I'm simply just not privy to. But those are a couple things that I've seen. You know, the thing is, is I don't think that it has evolved much more than that as well, too. You see this with the Super Bowl ads, right? Is the floating QR code. It's all about being able to track what's the action that you want them to take. But I also think it's as simple as looking at your website traffic. But I feel that strongly with influencer marketing as well, too. Like, are people searching on your website for that thing that your influencers are posting about? Are you being strategic with the campaigns that you're pushing out so that you can evaluate the traffic that's coming into your website? So it's really kind of figuring out who's walking through your front doors. I sort of like really respect so much the people in influencer marketing who consider themselves strategists and the people who like genuinely look at every partnership with fresh eyes and have a ton of experience behind them to pull from to say like, well, in this one campaign, we use a QR code like that was crazy effective. Or like we had this sort of link or that sort of call to action. There's just so many things that they have in their back pocket. And then they can look at their next campaign with fresh eyes and ask the right questions to really get to the core of what we're doing here with this one. And then be able to get really strategic and test and learn about what to try first because it's a journey. There isn't that silver bullet. That's like the lazy person's way of doing influencer marketing, if you ask me. So I appreciate you bringing that up. I 
definitely have experienced similar. Every marketer listening definitely feels the struggle of trying to prove that what you're pushing out is working because it takes time to really be effective. It takes time to build a brand as it should. This is going to sound so ridiculous, but I think of it from a weight loss point of view. If I'm going to lose 20 pounds in a matter of weeks, I'm going to also gain it really quickly versus being able to like lose a pound a week. I am better able to maintain it and adjust control. Like you can evaluate the cause and effect a little bit more strategically when it's a slower pace, but everything's a business. So I know that that's also the struggle is balancing that with also, okay, we've got to be able to keep the lights on. I'm really interested to hear your perspective on emerging trends that you think are affecting influencer marketing. If you think that they're affecting them at all, I think what immediately comes to mind is this conversation about AI, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on either that or another emerging trend that you're like, hey, this could be very potentially impactful for influencer marketing specifically. Let's start with AI for sure. I'm one for automation. I'm one for outsourcing the menial tasks to ideally a robot. (laughs) Like ideally some AI could take care of it. But I think that that is just a starting point to save you a fraction of time. But then once the AI spits out a caption or spits out some ideas for content, then you take that and you and you mold it and you run with it and you add your own formula to it. But AI isn't developed enough to fully run with itself. And people just mess around with it. Because I do think that if more people just simply had hands-on experience with AI and really experience it firsthand, I think A, they'd be less scared or wary of it. So just like mess around with it, see what it can do. Time is just like the most valuable thing that we have on this planet, in my opinion. So the idea that something can come in and save me some time, even if it's 10 minutes every day, that adds up. It does add up. (laughs) It does. Even the bottom line of a business, that's 10 minutes of all of my people, like all my team every single day. That equates to dollars as well. And AI fascinates me. It's something that is literally incorporated into my home. I love automation. So I'm all for it. And I do think that it does have a place in influencer marketing. And I don't think that people need to be weary of it or afraid that it's going to take over people's jobs. It is so not there. <laughs> like, don't be afraid yet. That is not what's happening. And then I guess like if I could think of like one other trend per se, I'm just really excited by seeing creators who are really finding way more interesting ways of diversifying their revenue than they ever have before. I think that for the longest time, influencers were so way, way, way too heavily reliant upon brand partnerships. And I think that has a really dangerous trickle-down effect where someone might reach out to an influencer. And if they are solely dependent on that, they'll just say yes to everything. And I think that the slippery slope is that those brand partnerships start to feel incredibly inauthentic. And I think as a whole, you start to have this air of like, do they even know what this product is nonetheless? Like use it themselves because that is the reality. I can speak personally to it for influencers that I represented that they're like, ah, we'll make it work. And I'm like, are you sure this just doesn't feel as it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll make it work. Okay. So I am excited and I respect the hell out of the influencers who 
are making that a smaller part of their revenue, their yearly revenue, because they're monetizing their communities in other ways. They're maybe selling products or they're selling memberships or they're selling coaching or there's so many different things that they're doing, but they're becoming more business savvy and not necessarily just following what the status quo is doing, which is simply brand partnerships. I do think that by having influencers have other things going on that's bringing in money and also feeling more comfortable turning down brand partnerships, I actually think that'll be a really positive thing in terms of brand partnerships as a whole. I agree. It's really turning it into a business. Now, influencer marketing for creators of themselves, it's always been a business. I don't know that the broader population views creators as entrepreneurs. And for me, that's the bucket that they fall into. They're small business owners. That's essentially what they're doing. And the diversification that you mentioned before, it is really fascinating, but you would do that as a business as well too. One of the things that I love that creators are doing is not just the brand partnerships, but the collaborations with brands. I'm a jewelry person. So when I see collaborations with a creator that I follow, I am so much more likely to either purchase those collaborations, but also just purchase from the store as well. And I think that's a really ingenious way to kind of diversify their portfolio as well too. And it's great for a brand. It's kind of thinking outside of the initial pay for post or pay for story or give me this. And it really sweetens the pot. And it adds more of that social proof, right? Of like, hey, no, they actually wear this, use this, which is so important. There's not, and I've been the person that has purchased things off of social media thinking, oh, this is fantastic. And then I get it and I'm like, I have just wasted my money. It leaves me very wary of purchasing anything because this is not what was represented. Maybe I need to follow more creators and not just take that one ad that keeps coming up on my feed. You have to sift through a lot of stuff to get to the good stuff, but that is the internet and I wouldn't have it any other way, personally. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Definitely the world at your fingertips for sure. I've appreciated all of the time that you've given me. So I know that we've just scratched the surface and we could talk for hours about influencer marketing. I have one final question for you. If you knew then what you know now, what's that advice that you give to yourself? What's that marketing advice that you give to yourself? I think the best advice I can give, it's marketing advice, but it's also just life advice. Take into consideration what's going on around you, learn from others and really take in what you're seeing. But at the end of the day, don't copy and don't hold yourself to this standard that, you know, just because you're not achieving what they are, that there's anything wrong. Success is a really individual thing. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of my life, I was chasing the success of others in my own business, in my own life, in a lot of ways. And they're good examples. And it's natural to admire people. But I think that the older that I get, and again, this is on a human level, but also absolutely in a, in a marketing sense too, it's good to see your competitors, you know, and to yeah. see what they're up to. But at the end of the day, you should have your own benchmark for what success looks like. And what I've witnessed as well, especially when I was representing influencers and now I coach managers and I tell them this all the time, is like actually the more unique you are, the more of an asset you are, the more valuable you are. So I feel like we're taught to 
sometimes go in the complete wrong direction. And this is one of those areas. I just feel like define your own success and actually lean into how you're like nobody else. And that will, at the end of the day, make you the most valuable. Absolutely. Be your authentic self. It's a whole lot easier than pretending to be somebody else. And it's the way that you make the biggest splash. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to just sit with me and talk shop about influencer marketing. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Anytime, anytime. Thank you. It is always great to talk to Jessie. Definitely a friend of the podcast and personally, she's amazing. So are you ready for the key takeaways? I've got them for you. Number one key takeaway, micro-influencers can be highly effective for brands. Now, while macro-influencers with millions of followers may seem like the ideal choice for influencer marketing campaigns, micro-influencers with smaller but highly engaged audiences can be just as effective, if not more so. Now, this is because micro-influencers tend to have a more authentic relationship with our followers and are seen as more relatable and more trustworthy. They tend to have a higher engagement rate as well, too, with their audience. Number two, collaboration and transparency are essential. For influencer marketing to be successful, it is crucial to establish a collaborative and transparent relationship between the brand and the influencer. This means setting clear expectations, discussing creative direction, and being upfront about compensation and expectations. Transparency is also the key when it comes to disclosing sponsored content and ensuring that the influencer's followers are aware of any sponsored posts. Number three, measuring ROI is critical. I think that we all know this. It's all about the bottom line, right? So we do have to be able to measure the return on investment of working with influencers. Measuring the success of influence marketing campaigns is really essential to determine ROI and optimize any of the future campaigns that you have. Metrics such as engagement rate, reach, and sales can be used really to evaluate that success or the success of the campaigns that you're putting on. And brands should be willing to adjust their strategy based on that data, right? It's making data-informed decisions. It's also essential to track the effectiveness of different types of influencers and content formats to identify what's working for you and what's not. What's not can be just as informative as what is. I'd love to hear the key takeaways that you pulled from this particular episode. Be sure to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Katya Allison, or post it as a review on Apple. You can listen to this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Jessie and how you can get in touch with her. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off. 